So this past week, I had a conversation with Pastor Mark Birch, and Mark was telling me about the first time he bought a vehicle. So he was 17 at the time, and he was looking for a decent vehicle to drive. I mean, 17-year-old, still in high school. And so he hears about this vehicle that was being sold by a gentleman in his community. Now, this particular individual and his wife were known for being very meticulous about taking care of the things they owned. So their house was always wonderfully kept and everything. Their vehicles were always clean and pristine. And so he saw this vehicle that this man was selling, and so Mark was interested. But he didn't, he didn't have enough money to purchase this vehicle. So he goes to the bank with his parents, I guess, and they're trying to get a little bit of a loan so that he can buy this vehicle. Well, the person within the, uh, the, the bank trying to work out the paperwork for the, for the uh, loan tells Mark, why don't you have this uh, vehicle looked over? Just because the last thing you want to do is borrow money and then go buy this vehicle only to realize that it's a lemon and it needs a new transmission and it needs a new this, a new that. So it might be a good idea for you to get a mechanic to just give it a once over. And then after that, you can purchase if you feel that the vehicle is good enough. So Max is okay, fine. So he goes to a relative of his who owned a, a garage, a shop where he was fixing vehicles. And he told this guy, hey, look, I'm going to buy a vehicle from so-and-so. Um, no, I'm going to buy a vehicle, and uh, I, I, I would like for you to have a once-over. What model is the vehicle? Well, Mark gives all the details, and then Mark will. Uh, then uh, the individual asks Mark, hey, so who's selling you this vehicle? I mean, it was a small community, so everyone kind of knew everybody. And so Mark says, yeah, I'm buying it from so-and-so. And when the mechanic heard the name of the seller of the vehicle, the mechanic was like, oh, I don't even need to have a look at this vehicle. Why? Because this particular individual, I know him so well. If anything, that vehicle is as close to brand new as you could get. Like this guy knows how to take care of his vehicles. It's always in for servicing, on time. He's always on top of his oil changes. This vehicle will have absolutely no problem. And in fact, I know this guy is selling it under market value. So Mark, you know what? You don't even need to bring this vehicle in I already know, I can guarantee that vehicle is worth every penny you will pay for it. So you can go and buy it. What's my point here? My point is this, your confidence, our confidence in someone will always grow as you spend time hearing stories about this particular individual. So Mark heard this testimony about this guy. Now, Mark had known this family and he knew that they were very uh, pristine when it comes to taking care of their staff, but, when he heard this testimony from the mechanic who said, this guy's vehicles are absolutely well taken care of, Mark had no hesitation. He, took the, he got the loan and he went and he bought the vehicle and sure enough, the vehicle was worth every penny that he spent on it. Your confidence about someone grows as you spend time hearing stories and testimonies about that person. And this is true when we are when we are looking to buy a house and we talk to our friends, who's the best realtor? And so you hear stories about this realtor who got me a good deal or this realtor who's always very uh, above board and is always trustworthy, or it could be a mechanic, a surgeon, um, a business um, 
business associate, like we, we listen to stories and as we hear positive stories about people, our confidence in them grows and therefore we feel, um, we feel um, confident in, in partnering with these individuals and doing business with them. The story we're about to engage here is a story about God. This is Genesis 15 that we'll be looking at here. And we're going to see how God interacts with Abraham. Now, of course, you would be reading this story and you'd say, hey, you know, the principal actor here, this story is about Abraham. Yeah, the story is about Abraham, but really the story is about God. And so as we study this text, Genesis 15, if you have a Bible you want to open there, we will study it in two parts. The first is we'll see how God renews a promise that he made to Abraham. So a promise renewed. And then second point, only two points today, is a promise ratified. So God renews a promise that he made to Abraham, and then he also ratifies this promise. So we'll read the text, of the first seven verses, under the title, A Promise Renewed. So if you have a Bible, Genesis 15, verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abraham said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the, Lord, then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed God and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. So we'll stop there. So it's interesting that this uh, passage begins in verse one with after this. So what had happened there? So let's go all the way back to Genesis 12. So the Lord appears to Abraham. Lord just shows up to Abraham and tells him, hey dude, um, get up, take all your possessions, leave your father's household, leave your, leave your clan, leave your land, your country, and go to the place that I'll show you. And so God basically tells Abraham, leave. There's, a, there's something I'd like to, to show you. There's a land, there's a promise I have for you. Just leave your father's household, leave your country, and go to the place that I'll show you. So Abraham takes all his possessions and he leaves. So as he leaves, on his way, there is famine. And so this huge, great famine that has now come upon the land, so Abraham decides to sojourn, he goes to Egypt. And when he's there, he stays there a bit. Pharaoh looks at Sarah and Pharaoh thinks, wow, Sarah is hot. And Abraham says, hey, she's my sister because he was scared that Pharaoh might kill him and take Sarah for himself. To which, of course, the Lord intervenes and Sarah is given back to Abraham and he's sent away from Egypt. And then after that, as they go, Abraham has his nephew Lot with him. And so they part company, they part ways, not, not in, um, in a feud or anything. They just decided, hey, their herds and their flocks were too large. And so Abraham, uh, Lot decides to go one way and Abraham decides to go the other way. And as Lot is gone, well, he is kidnapped by the 
nations and the tribes of the area. And so Abram hears about his nephew Lot, who's been kidnapped. And so Abram now has this rescue mission to go after these people who have kidnapped Lot, and he rescues Lot. Now, of course, what will go around that, hey, you know what, this man, Abraham, who's sojourning in our midst, has just rescued uh, his son. He has killed many of our people. This is not going to be good. So we now come to Genesis 15. After this, after Abraham has now rescued Lot. After this, the word of the Lord uh, came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid. Of course, Abraham has every reason to be afraid. Why? He has already rescued his nephew. But of course, in that operation, of course, he has killed some people. He's been violent and all that. So he's concerned for his safety. And that's why the Lord says, do not be afraid. I am your shield, meaning I will defend you. I am your shield and your very great reward is what the Lord says. Now, it's an interesting statement here where the Lord says, I'm your shield, but your very great reward. What is God talking about there? And God is referring to the promise he had made to Abraham that I will bless you and I'll make you into a great nation. This is the promise he gives him in Genesis chapter 12. So I'll be your shield and your very great reward to each Abraham is like, okay, Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? Now, why does Abraham ask this question? You see, when we read Genesis chapter 12, and now we come 12, 13, 14, and now we're in 15, we can read that in maybe 10 minutes or so, 15 maybe. So as you're reading this story, you think, oh, it's just today this happened, and then the next day, maybe it's a week, maybe two weeks tops, between the, 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 the time period between Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. Actually, it's closer to 10 years, the time between Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. So 10 years ago, the Lord had told Abraham to leave his father's house, to leave his country and go to the land he will show him, and how the Lord will make him into a great nation. Ten years have passed, many ups and downs. Famine comes, they go to Egypt. After Egypt, they come out, they part company with, with, with Lot, and then Lot is um, kidnapped, and then there is this rescue mission and so on. Ten years. And still Abraham remains childless, and that's why he says, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. It almost seems like the odds are now stacked against God's promise. Why? Not only has it been 10 years, but Abraham is close to 85 years old. So you're well past childbearing years. You're 85 years old. You have no kids. And the Lord is saying, hey, I am your shield and your very great reward, referring to this promise of making you into a great nation. And Abraham is wondering, uh, how will this happen? The odds are so against what, we are about, what you're saying, Lord. You see, as an application, uh, right here in Abbotsford, um, you know, a city here in Abbotsford, there, is, there was a flood that just came uh, a couple of weeks ago. And the flood, it just filled the Sumas Prairie. And a lot of farmers and a lot of people who own property there lost a lot of stuff. 
There are people who will now be coming back to what was their property and they're looking at their houses and they will probably not be able to live in their house again because it will be condemned, because it's contaminated and so on and so forth, because flood water is very dangerous water. So they've lost everything. There are people who um, you've uh, lost your job or your business. COVID has created all sorts of chaos for, for some. And it's not been easy. The death of a loved one who probably was a breadwinner or the breadwinner of the home has now cancer and they can no longer work. And all of a sudden things were going really well and now the future looks grim and you wonder, okay, Lord, you say that you will be with us. You say that you'll be our provider. And now the odds seem stack, uh, stacked against the promises of God that are found in scripture. Matthew 6, 25 to 34, Jesus here is saying, you know, do not worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. Your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. But how can we not worry? Particularly when we don't know what after Christmas, what January 2022 will look like. How, we, how, how can we not worry? How can we not be concerned? How? See, Abraham has the same concerns where he's saying, yeah, Lord, you're saying that you'll be my shield and my reward, but I remain childless. I'm 85 years old. So now, what now? So what, the, what does the Lord do here? The Lord reassures Abraham that Eliezer the servant, yeah, this man will not be your heir, is what God says. This guy will not be your heir. And then he takes Abraham outside and he tells him, hey, buddy, look up. Look at the sky. And I'm now going to assume that it's evening now. Look at the stars and count them if they can be counted. Yeah, your descendants will be countless, like the stars in the sky. In other words, the Lord is now promising Abraham three things. First, I will remain with you. I will always be with you. I will be your shield. Not only that, I will give you an heir. Eliezer, the, 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 the servant in your, in, your, um, in your family, in your household, yeah, this guy is not going to be your heir, no your own flesh and blood, meaning, yeah, you're 85 years old, but you watch, you will be a dad. Not only that, I will make you into a great nation. Look at the stars and count them. And so I can imagine in my mind's eye, Abraham uh, sojourning and it's evening and the sun goes down and he can see the stars. Each evening he would be looking up at the stars and seeing all these stars and being reminded constantly that, hey, the Lord, our God, he is with us. The Lord, our God, his promise to me is that I will be, I will have descendants like this. I will have a son, even in my old age. See, what is God's promise to us today? You see, again, going back to Matthew 6, when Jesus is talking about how you shouldn't worry about what you eat and what you drink and what you wear, prior to him saying this, he has given an illustration to say, consider the birds of the air. Just think of the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap. So think of it this way. 
How many of you have seen birds flying over your head? You see a bird flying on your porch, or maybe you have a hummingbird that comes on your porch and is kind of like trying to suck that little ne uh, nectar thing that you have on your porch, and you see this bird healthy and strong, and yet these birds that fly and keep landing in our porches and we see them in trees around us, all around us, or we see them flying and now birds are migrating because it's winter, and you see all these birds migrating. None of these birds plant anything. They don't plant, they don't reap, they don't store in barns. And yet Jesus says in Matthew 6 that our heavenly father feeds them all. They get their daily portion each and every day. In other words, Jesus is saying they eat from the very hand of God. And Jesus goes on to say, you and I are more valuable than those birds. We are more valuable than those birds. Do not worry about what you will eat and drink. Your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. He knows that you need all these things. And, and beyond that, as we read the New Testament, we know that it's not always going to be like this, right? Particularly those who have uh, totally been hard hit by the floods in Abbotsford. Uh, those who have lost employment because of COVID. Businesses have been turned upside down, inside out, and we are struggling to make ends meet, and so on. The scriptures affirm that we will not, it will not always be like this. Why? Because one day, one day Christ will come back again. This is Revelation 19, and I keep preaching about this constantly as a reminder that yes, even though we suffer, and even though it is difficult, even though it is challenging, regardless of what the issue is, it could be a financial issue, it could be a health issue, it could be a relational issue, whatever the issue is, it will not always be like this. Why? Christ will come back again, and he will make everything new. Question, do you believe that Christ will come back again and make all things new? See, Abraham believed God. He believed God. In other words, he knew God had said to him, you know, I've got this. I'll give you an illustration. I want you to imagine that, um, imagine that you know this single mom. And this single mom has uh, uh, two kids who are daycare age, and she's trying to make ends meet. And so she has this old raggedy vehicle that is sitting in the garage or just outside parked in her basement suite that she's renting and she's barely making ends meet. And so in the morning she woke up late, she's trying to get the kids ready to take them to this daycare where she's barely making the payments. And so she's rushing out of the door to, to, to get to work and at her work, her boss is not very good to her. So she doesn't want really to rock the boat there. She wants to get to work early. She, she uh, starts this vehicle and it stalls. She starts again and the vehicle is making all these crazy noises. And so she's like, oh dear, not today, it's a Monday morning. Not today, what am I going to do? I'm pressed for time, I need to, go to get to work. The vehicle is not working, the kids are crying, I'm going to be late, my boss is not someone I, I get along with this kind of morning. And she's now under pressure. So what would she do? So of course, she'll try and figure out, phone her friends, maybe try and see how she can um, 
get to work, and then she will sort out the vehicle a little bit later. But she has to get to work, drop the kids off at the daycare. So, of course, people in their community group kind of help her out. And she's able to get, barely made it on time. But she's still stressed about the vehicle that's not working. She has no money to fix it. Now, when she's at work, she now hears her friends talking about, hey, there is this particular mechanic who's known to helping single parents. And this mechanic is really good. He's a Christian man. And he, he, he will give you a reduced rate or sometimes he will fix it for free. All you have to do is buy the parts. And so this lady hears her co-workers talking, constantly saying, you know what? You need to take your vehicle there. If you take your vehicle to this guy, Jack, take your vehicle to Jack and he'll, he'll sort you out. So she calls Jack and Jack says, you know what, don't worry, bring your vehicle over, we've got this. Or actually, better yet, where's your vehicle parked? We'll go get it for you. I'll come to your work, I'll get your key, I'll take your vehicle, tow it to my shop, I'll fix it, end of day, you can come get it. What will this woman's attitude be like? Now, her vehicle has not been fixed yet. It's still sitting the driveway of her place where she lives. But she's just talked to Jack, and Jack has told her, you know what, I'm coming for the key, and I will tow your vehicle to my shop, and by end of day, your vehicle will be running. Just come and get it. Her anxiety will have gone like that. See, this is what God is telling Abraham. Eliezer will not be your heir. Uh-uh. Your own flesh and blood will. And by the way, I will be your shield and your great reward. And just, just so we are clear, look at the stars in the sky. Yeah, if you can count them, yeah, that's as many descendants as you will have. I will bless you. I'll make you into, your great, into a great nation. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. My question to us then is this. Do you, believe, do you believe that God can actually do this for you? Even while we are in the midst of uncertainty with the flood that's here, we are not sure what this coming year will look like. You know, many of us are skeptical about um, the new year because 20, uh, 2019 into 2020, we all thought, oh, a new decade, COVID hit. And then we thought, oh, everything will be behind us now when we jump into 2021. No, more of the same. And now we think, oh, 2021, COVID will be done. The floods are here. What will 2022 bring? This feels like a very different Christmas to many. And yet the Lord says, I'm with you in this. I can be trusted. You ought not to linger in worry the scriptures continue to affirm that the Lord knows your needs before you ask. Think of it this way. As a parent, I have uh, children. And so sometimes I'd be in the kitchen or probably be in the basement just hanging out and all that. And then my kids will come. And as a parent, all I need to do is look at my child's face. Any parent knows this. You just look at your kid's face and you will know what their need is. They are hungry or they want to ask permission to play video games or they want this or they want... You know as a parent just by looking at their face, even before they ask, you know there's an ask coming and you basically know what that ask is. Our Heavenly Father knows our needs 
even before we ask. Now, you might be skeptical and you might want just a little bit more evidence to show that God can actually be trusted to deliver on his promises, right? Because you might say, you know, apparently yeah, I can see mom and dad is right there, but God, I, I really can't see him. I can't feel him. I can't. So you might need a little bit more evidence that God can actually deliver on his promises. Well, point number two, a promise ratified. Let's go up to verse five and make our way to verse 19. And he took him outside. This is God taking Abraham outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed God and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all this to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep. And a thick, dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Ammonites, Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed through the pieces. On that day, this is an f- important verse, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said to your descendants, I will give this land from Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hevites, the Perizzites, the Raphites, the the Amorites, the Canaanites, Gagishites, and Jebusites. There are no Mennonites here. They weren't there yet. But all these lands with all these people in it, all this land, yeah, will be yours. I will give This land to you is what the Lord says here. So now, at the very beginning here, uh, verse 7, we just saw that the Lord reiterates why he brought Abraham from Ur of the Chaldeans. This is Abraham's hometown, his homeland. Why did God tell him in Genesis 12, get up, leave your father's household, your country, everything, leave it all behind and come to the land I'll show you. Why did God do that? God did that, verse 7, to give Abraham this land to possess. And the land we've just read about here in verse 19. But there is a small little fly in the ointment here. And what's this fly on the ointment? The fly in the ointment is this. This land was not empty. It was not empty. There were other nations who lived in this land. And we've just read about it. The Canaanites, Canaanites, Cadmonites, Hevites, Perizzites, all these Individuals, all these nations 
live in this land that the Lord is saying, hey, I will give you this land as your possession. In other words, you will probably have to take this land uh, by force because these nations are not going to say, okay, yeah, come here, take. No. They're not going to say, come here, take. Uh Uh-uh. So Abraham then asks this question, uh, so how, how will I know that I will take possession of this land? Because obviously someone is occupying this. It's almost like me saying, hey, you know what? I, I grab you and I take you to a neighborhood and I say, you see that house? Yeah, I'll give you that house. But there's someone who lives there. So how am I going to gain possession of that? I don't have any money. How am I going to gain possession of that house? And it already has an owner. So this is basically what Abraham is saying. In other words, it's almost like this Mission Impossible movies. You've probably watched Mission Impossible, right? Where you have all these lead characters who are now faced with this challenge. They want to rescue this person who's been kidnapped. But then this person who's been kidnapped is in this secure location with all these uh, security measures and things. And so now they begin talking about the impossibility of the rescue mission. And so you, as the viewer watching this show, you're wondering, okay, now how are they going to get to that person? Or how are they going to get to that safe and take this thing that they need to get? It almost seems like mission impossible here when God is saying, yeah, I will give you this land. That's why Abraham is saying, so how will I know? How will this happen? See, when God calls, when God calls us to many things, sometimes He calls us into things that at times feel very impossible. For for instance, if God is calling you and your family to go to global missions, you, you feel called to go to Turkey. You feel called to go to Yemen. You feel called to go to Thailand or to some country that is closed, so to speak. And God is saying, hey, go there and be a missionary. First, you align yourself with the mission agency who will tell you, hey, you need startup costs will be close to $80,000. And you're thinking, how on earth am I going to raise $80,000? So I have to go to friends and family and well-wishers and community group people and people at the church and all that. I have to go to churches and begin to ask them to support me. Yikes. I'm afraid of that. I don't want to come across as needy, so to speak. So I have to raise how much again? And not only that, I have to leave the comforts of my home and go to this far off land where it'll be hot and humid and dusty and the food that I'm used to is not there. There is no Starbucks there. Getting a clean glass of water is just hard. The healthcare system is not the best. The sanitation, not the best. And now I have to move there. There's schooling systems. I have kids who go to school. So now what am I going to do? And I feel this call of God to go. And I might get persecuted there. Why? The reason these countries are closed countries is because they don't want you there to begin with. They don't want you there because you might go in They will not prevent you from coming in. You just might not get out. That's why it is closed. And so this is what God is calling you into. And so like, it sounds so mission impossible-ish. Right? This is the same situation that Abraham finds himself 
in when God calls many times what he calls you into seems so impossible. And so that's why Abraham says, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? And he's asking not because of lack of faith necessarily, but because there are other nations. How will I know that this, that I will overcome this hump here? So the Lord doesn't tell Abraham, you know, Abraham, so this is the plan here. This is a strategy. Like, let's uh, set up and say, let me show you how we will conquer this land. No. What does God do? God does something very odd. And the odd thing that God does here in verse 9, and the Lord said to him, bring a heifer and a goat and a ram, each three years old, very particular with what it is you're going to bring. Okay? Bring this heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with the dove and a young pigeon. And so Abraham goes and brings this thing. Abraham kind of knows what God is asking for here. See, in the ancient world, when you wanted to uh, have a contract, to do a contract with people, you'd have to bring animals. So for instance, if me and Mark Birch had a contract to say, hey, you know what? We're going to come together and agree to do a specific business, uh, to have a specific business arrangement, we would each bring <clears throat> a bull, for example. So once we get this bull, we would cut it in two, Slaughter them, cut them into, into halves. And so one half on this side, another half on the other side, both of them. Now it'd be blood everywhere, flies and all that. They'll be gross. But once you've already slaughtered them and you've put them into two sides, Mark and I will hold hands and we will walk in between the pieces of these animals. And as we are walking in between the pieces of these animals together, this is to say that, hey, you and I, have an agreement here that we will do what we have agreed upon. And I will follow through on my end of the deal, and I'm hoping that you will follow through on your end of the deal. Now, if at certain point I kind of like drop the ball on my end of the deal, or in other words, I say, you know what, I, didn't, I did not agree to that. By virtue of the fact that I walked in between these animals, Mark will have every right to come and do to me as we did to the animals. In other words, to cut me in two, literally. This is how the ancient world, this is how their contracts were binding. So this is a serious situation here. We've just cut these two animals and we've walked through. Yeah, there is no reneging here. So I have to be 100% sure that I am going to follow through on what it is that I'm saying. So what, does God, what is God telling Abraham here? Bring all these animals. We are about to, to have a contract here. Now, in the ancient world, this is mind-blowing stuff. Why? The gods never, ever, ever, ever made a contract agreement with human beings, ever. So the fact that the creator of heaven and earth, this God, would choose to have a contract agreement with Abraham like this, it had never happened. So Abraham brings all these animals and he cuts them and he puts the pieces to the side, blood everywhere, and then there's this thick darkness and then God begins to prophesy as to what will happen in the days to come and how your descendants will go to Egypt 400 years and then after that I'll punish this nation, I'll bring them back and I will give them this land. And then there is this, um, this a pot, this flaming pot with a torch on it. 
it comes down when it's dark so that Abraham can see it. And so this pot goes in between the pieces that, has been, that have been slaughtered, but this pot goes alone. In other words, God alone decides to walk in between the animals. In other words, this is not a bilateral contract where it is two people, two equals like Ezra and Mark, who are two equals now walking together. No, this is now one individual who's walking. In other words, this one individual is saying, the contract I'm making, the promise I'm making to you, I will keep this promise no matter what. And if I renege, you can do to me as we have done to these animals. So it, it, it's almost like this. It's almost like, um, imagine uh, your, your, your loved one goes to the bank and gets a mortgage for this beautiful home, but they get the mortgage on their own. So the entire liability of that mortgage rests on the one who just signed the papers with the bank. And then they come to you and you go to the lawyer and they choose now to add you to the title of the, of the home that has just been purchased. So in other words, this person now who went to get the mortgage is assuming 100% liability and you are the one who is gaining home ownership status with no liability of mortgage. So if the person defaults, guess what? You're off the hook. Why? Because your name was not on the mortgage papers, but your name is on the title deed. So in other words, what God is saying to Abraham is this. Abraham, you will be, I will make you into a great nation. You'll have so many descendants, as many as the stars are up in the heavens. I will come through for you. You will have a son, your own flesh and blood. And guess what, buddy? I will come through on this promise. And to prove that I'll come through on this promise, I'll even sign a contract with you. Bring all these animals, let's slaughter them. And I will walk alone. This is a unilateral contract. God is on the hook for this. If it doesn't come to be, it is on him. And all Abraham has to do is sit back, relax, and be the beneficiary of this lavish promise. See, it's interesting. The Lord Jesus, he says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Those who believe will not perish but have eternal life. But how? How do I get this eternal life? What do I need to do? You need to do nothing. Why? It's been done for you. How was it done for you? Christ died on the cross for you. And all you have to do now is believe. Sit back. Receive the grace, repent, receive the grace freely given for you. God signs this contract, this unilateral contract. God's, God walks through the animal pieces alone and then declares that he will give Abraham and his descendants the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Admonites, the Hittites, the Hevites, and so on. God promises that he will do this. And he backs it up by making a contract here. 
So if you know, the, if you know your Bible well, you will know that God followed through. See, if you read Genesis chapter 37, all the way to the end of the book of Joshua, you will see that God came through on the promise that he made to Abraham. He came through at every turn on the promise that he gave to Abraham. See, when Mark Birch went to to get this loan and he was asked, hey, why don't you go and have this vehicle looked over? He goes to his mechanic relative, says, hey, I need you to look over this vehicle. Hey, but who are you buying it from? Oh, I'm buying it from so-and-so. Oh, I know this person. I know this guy. You can rest assured that that vehicle is solid. I don't even need to look at it because I know this person. His reputation, everything that he's, he owns, he takes care of. Pristine. It's a wonderful vehicle. Now, I don't know if that vehicle was pristine after Mark bought it. That's a different story. But the reason why Mark purchased that vehicle is because of the testimony he heard. My point here is this. The reason why we put our faith and trust in God, even in coming into the new year, even as we come to Christmas, this is the hope of Christmas. Let us celebrate Christmas with a lot of joy. Why? Because the one we are celebrating is known to come through on everything that he promises. Therefore, yes, it's been a hard year for all of us. It's been challenging and tough. The weather has brought all sorts of challenges with it. COVID has brought all sorts of challenges with it. This uncertainty about what this coming year may look like. Yeah, all that is true, but one thing that remains constant and true is that God can be trusted. He's been tried and tested and has always delivered, always delivered. And even if things go from bad to worse, we can always be reminded that it will not always be like this. Christ will come back again and he will make all things new. Let's pray. Lord, I ask. I ask today for more of your spirit, for everyone who's listening. Here in Abbotsford, in Mission, in Surrey, Central Abbotsford, around the world, Lord, all those who are listening, I pray, Father, you know the weights that we carry. Father, I pray that you'd show yourself faithful to your people. I ask, dear Lord, that you'd grant us the faith to have in you, even in these uncertain times. You have come through consistently through the biblical texts. Help us not to be faithless, but help us to trust you, Father, even in these uncertain times. Thank you for being a God who can be relied on and depended upon. Commend ourselves now to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.